Join me for a year in the Bible. It's less than five minutes. Every day I'll give you insights and encouragement. That's a year in the Bible, available now wherever you get your podcasts. For me, I'm a pastor, and I deal with real people, people just like you every day, people that have a hurt or they have something going on and they're trying to figure out how do I deal with this and I always know Jesus has the answer he has that next step for you let's open up the word today and see what God will say specifically to you Is spiritual clutter a problem for you? You have come to the right place. This is your next step. I am Pastor Doug. Pastor Doyle, our lead pastor here at the Church Next Door, is with me. Pastor Doyle, you were uh, just talking to me. You were telling me about our spirit needing to be cleaned up from clutter. Well, have you ever tried to do a project at your house, and maybe you needed your tools, but I don't know, maybe someone else in the house has borrowed a couple of them, and they're not in the toolbox, and you got to spend all your time finding stuff? My daughter took it upon herself to organize my tools for me. Was that good or bad? uh, (laughs) I kept my mouth quiet. (laughs) I didn't say anything, but it wasn't helpful. Wasn't helpful. (laughs) See, I think that what happens is spiritually, we have this clutter. And um, well, I've I've talked with people before, and, and they didn't realize that by participating in some things in the past, I'll give you an example. Uh, A guy that I was working with once, he said, I don't know why, but every time I read my Bible, I have a headache. And I said, "Well, have you ever, have you ever participated in the occult? You know, maybe you've gone to a seance or fortune teller. You've done anything?" He said, "Well, I read the satanic verses," and I was like, "Whoa, okay." So you decided to read that book, and I said, um, "Have you ever said, God, forgive me for doing that?" And he went through, and we took some time to confess that as a sin. Well, immediately he could, you know, read his Bible, and we began to see him make some real spiritual progress. He uh, he began to read through his Bible, and it really helped his marriage. All I'm saying is, sometimes we got this clutter. We don't know why we're not moving forward spiritually, and it, it really helps for us to go through it. We're going to give you some examples today of things that can cause clutter in your life, and we want to help you. Yes, it's part three of low power mode, and my better half asked me to help him for all three parts, so after this week, you'll get all, just your pastor, all to yourself again, so, but we did low power mode body, low power mode mind, and today is low power mode spirit, and I'll just pre-warning, there, this is not the most popular topic, even in churches, so we may, you know, push a few buttons, but uh, we want to talk about being, you know, low power mode spiritually, because all of us, that's why we're in church, right? We want to be in a, a, a really high charge spiritual power mode. You know, I remember when Doyle and I had gone on a date night, and our boys were three and five, so we had a babysitter. It was Valentine's. I mean, life was good, right, we, when you we, get a we date night. We have gone on a date night since then. Yes. Okay, but just want to be clear. This is back in the day. <laughs> now it's, it, it's easy. We go on lots of date nights. So anyway, but back, we did the Herculean effort of a date night, and he bought me this big box of chocolates. We came home late, and I put it on top of the refrigerator. So we go to bed, the kids are already in bed, say goodbye to the babysitter, and we're, we're sleeping in. We're like, oh, isn't this just like 
icing on the cake. We're sleeping in and we're sleeping in and we're sleeping in. And then finally we're like, okay, we better get up. What's going on? You know, the kids never sleep in. And so we go downstairs to the kitchen and there our boys are on the kitchen floor with all the chocolate out, chocolate everywhere. They'd eaten all the chocolate. And I remember saying, how did you do this? You know, and they described getting onto the counter and from the counter up on top of the fridge and back down. And all of this happened all while we were sleeping. <laughs> and, and, you know, they just, you know, when they're just too darn cute, right? And, and you don't want to get onto them. Uh, but they, they knew, like, were you supposed to do that without asking, you know, and their, their little faces and they were, they were repentant. And, you know, it says, this is our first verse of the day, is Proverbs 28, 13. It says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. <laughs> and that's how we want to be, right? You know, you think about children, they're so precious, but you have some children that you just look at them and point, and they melt, right? Little tears well up in their eyes, and that little lip quivers, and they know they want to be good. And that's because they just, that's their nature, right? They're, they're wanting to please you. They're wanting to do the right thing. And then other children, you do that same exact look and finger, and they're jumping even higher <laughs> on the couch as soon as you do that. And I think, you know, with when you think about sin, in our lives, we want to honor God. And what we want to do is to be rid of the sin nature. And that's that crucifixion of our old way of life. Because we want to, it doesn't mean that we're never going to make a mistake. I mean, Romans 3.23 says, for all All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, every single last one of us. But we we want God to just be able to kind of look and point. And we're like, okay, Lord, and those tears well up. And we listen to his voice. You know, it says in 1 John 1, 9, John is talking about forgiveness. And he says, whoever confesses their sin, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the hope. That's the hope in this sermon. That's the hope as Christians is that, yes, we we don't have to let our current sin or our past sin be a black cloud or a heavy weight over our lives. You know, one time I had someone, they had a, a picture when we were praying and I was, I was a new believer. I was growing in Christ. I was I, well, I accepted Christ at seven, but I was new at surrendering to God. And I was new at letting go of my sin nature. That's a process. And, and they said, Jennifer, I saw a picture of you and you were like this pioneer on a wagon. And you were, you were trying to pioneer new territory, but you had this huge heavy load that you were carrying. And that's a burden of sin. It was such a good picture for me because I had to unload those sins. And that's one of the things that we want to challenge you to do today is to begin to go through your life and see if there's any way, any burden of sin that you're carrying that we can offload. Yeah, we have to see that, that, that sin is kind of like a burden. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a corrosion in your life. When you, when you begin to believe, well, it's okay if I don't give God my best. You know, and, and I slack off just a little bit. I, I, look at, I look at dealing with the sin nature and dealing with my tendency towards sin 
uh, a lot like cleaning house, all right? It's a whole lot easier if you keep your house clean regularly. But if you, if you, if you decide, well, I'm just going to clean once a month, well, that's a longer period of time for it to build up before you clean, right? And so if every day you clean off your desk or if you, if you keep it clean, and so what you want to do is you, you want to constantly looking, have I done something today that really was not God-honoring? Is there anything about my attitude today that would not be the way it ought to be? And see, what's happened to us is we, we've gone through a period of time when we've accepted interruptions, we've accepted uh, our life to be turned upside down and a constant change, but we, 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 we didn't sometime check the gauges on our relationship with God. And, and once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, yes, you've experienced grace for the sin, but that does not mean that the sinful ways in this world have gone away. That's like, just because you've uh, gotten out of credit card debt, you assuming that there's no credit card companies out there trying to entice you into using their program, right? Every time you go to check out, they invite you, have you signed up with our credit card? And I'm like, no, I've got plenty of those. Don't need those. See, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. It's see. Sin is that way. Sin, sin is something, it seems like it's an easier pathway. So today, we're going to take a little bit of time. We're going to look at that. And I want you to see how God is working in and with our participation in sanctification. This is what I mean. We have, many of us, we've heard the gospel of grace, right? That you cannot save yourself, that you need God. But there is a level of your and my participation, and God does expect us to participate in the grace that he's giving. And so we want to look at what does that look like and, and is this a new thing? The reason we started with, with Proverbs is we wanted you to know that confession of your sins has been always a part of God's people and God's way. It, it's part of the Hebrew Bible. It's part of the Judeo-Christian tradition, all right? So we didn't just get this when the Messiah Jesus came. This has always been a part of it. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, um, we have the story of John the Baptist and people coming out to be baptized. Uh, this weekend, we did a virtual tour of Israel, and those of us that did the virtual tour, they, they took us to the Jordan River, and they took us to the place not far from um, Jericho, where the, the people of Israel would have crossed the Jordan River to come into the land. The scripture talks about how when they came into the land to take possession of the land, they had to cross over the Jordan River. Now, this is what, this is what God said to them. He said, consecrate yourself because I want you to see what I will do in your life. And so they took a time under Joshua. They fasted and they prayed. They prepared their hearts. And then they came to the river. And they came through the river and into the promised land. Now, they, they weren't done, were they? Then they had to march around the walls of Jericho seven times, mm -hmm. right? See, what we have to see is we're participating with God. He is giving us a new way of life. But just because you said one prayer, it's not all done. You still have to continue to participate. At that same place where that took place, some people go and get baptized, 
in the Jordan River, all right, to this day. And it's, it's connected to this tradition with John the Baptist. Listen to what it, what it says about John the Baptist, okay? This is Jesus' co- cousin and what he had to say to the generation that he and Jesus were a part of. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. When we hear about him and his clothing and, and his, his diet, sometimes that's all we hear. We don't hear the message that he had of repentance. We think, what a crazy dude. But what he did was he said, if you will repent, if you'll recognize that there's not everything right in your life, you believe in God, but, but there's some things that still need to be dealt with. The step to that, he said, was to repent and then trust God for the cleansing. Can I talk about his fashion statement for a Go minute? Go right ahead. <laughs> I mean, the, I, you know, I bet that was kind of a cool uh, camel's hair coat, you know. No, I, John the Baptist, I love it. You know, his, his leather belt around his waist, he's eating locusts and honey. He's kind of he's weird, you know, and he's kind of strange. And yet he has this incredible boldness. I love him. Uh, you know, it says that he came making the high places low so that the path would be easy for people to come to know Christ. But everybody thought he was just so weird. And that might be us. And we have to be willing to be identified as bold and as strange in the world in which we live. And, you know, I think about the verse in Micah 3, 6, where it says, I am the Lord and I changeth not. Because, you know, God's not in heaven uh, amending or editing the Ten Commandments. God's opinion on marriage hasn't changed. God's opinion on sin hasn't changed. And we're going to have to have a boldness, even if you seem strange to people, about those principles in the day in which we live. And we're going to have to do it for the sake of our children because the world is lying to them. And if they don't know where we stand on these things, they're going to be confused. So we have to be willing to take a place that John the Baptist took, a very bold place, if we're going to stand against sin in our own lives and for the kids. You know, when it talks about John the Baptist making the high places low, what were the high places in uh, the Hebrew Bible? The high places were the faces of false worship, idolatry, ungodly behavior. One way of looking at that is to say that John the Baptist, when he spoke of sin, he was exposing the fact that any form of ungodliness, idolatry, self-centeredness wasn't going to work in the kingdom of God. You have to repent of that. See, one of the problems that we face when it, when it comes to sin is we play this game of what I call comparison. Now, what you have to understand is that sin nature loves to hide in comparison. This is what we do. And we, we, we look at our sin nature and we know that we're not perfect. Pretty much everyone that you talk to will tell you, well, I know I'm not perfect, right? But I'm not nearly as bad as, ha! You notice that little butt? It becomes a big butt, doesn't it? 
It gets in the way of life because now what we're doing, you know, someone, someone asked uh, Mother Teresa once if, if she thought she was good. And she said, oh, no, my standard of good is Jesus, the Messiah. And I, I'm, I'm so far from good compared to him. See, they asked Billy Graham if he thought he was good. And he said, oh, no. The standard for good is Jesus the Messiah. I don't, he said, I'm, I'm way down here. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to compare yourself to Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or some other great saint, fine. <laughs> but let's not pick out the person that just got caught and is on the news tonight as our standard of good. Jesus the Messiah is the standard of good, all right? You and I have to understand if you're, that's where our understanding of sin comes from. Well, in the same way Jesus was coming and John the Baptist was preparing the way, Jesus is returning and we as a church are preparing the way. That's right. And we are to be prepared and ready. And one of those uh, ways to do that is to be sanctified. And the community, Hilliard, Galloway, and the West Side, that's our watch. That's our time. That's our day. They need to know that we honor a holy God and we serve a God who's holy. And no, we're not perfect, but his standards remain. And that's very important that we hold to those. It's not a, it's not a popular place to be, you know, but we have to have a voice and we have to be willing to look at people and say, no, it's not that uh, I don't only participate, but that we really do believe the Bible is true and the Bible's the word of God. We've, we've lived through a time. This is your and my life. We've lived through a time when we have been told culturally that church is not essential. <laughs> We've been told that God is not essential. You can have a good life without God. That has been common in our culture. That is an ungodly attitude to believe that God is not necessary, okay? And you and I, we have to ask ourselves, how much is that affecting us? And, and, and this is what happens when we begin to love the, the, the things of this world more than we love God, it begins, there's a, there's a great quote. I put it in your notes. This is St. John of the Cross. St. John of the Cross, um, he, he began to challenge the church at his time to believe that they need to grow closer to Jesus, that it was about their relationship to Jesus, not just going to church, okay? And they put him, huh, they put him in church prison. They put him in a closet, for well over a year. And during that time, he, said, he came to this conclusion. It seems to me we can never give up longing and wishing while we are thoroughly alive. There are certain things we feel to be beautiful and good, and we must hunger after them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had him locked in a closet, essentially. And he said, I just learned to, learn, to hunger and thirst for God in that time. So what we're talking about is that you and I were designed with a hunger for spiritual meaning and for God. And what's happened, the reason we feel kind of drained is because we began to take sin lightly. We began to say, well, it's okay for me to have this attitude. It's okay for me to accept a little bit of ungodliness. It's okay for me and and then we begin to feel bad about ourselves. And, and what we want to show you is the methodology 
that God gives you for cleaning that up is just a step towards him. To say, God, I hunger for you. God, I want you to consecrate yourself, to say, God, I, I'm, I'm setting myself to, uh, toward you. And that's what we're, what we're inviting you well, to. Well, that's what Jesus said, right? In the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and <clears throat> thirst for righteousness. And, and we can just begin to say, Lord, I want to want you. I want to want you more. Lord, I want to hear from you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I, I'm calling out to you. Lord, I want to be close to you for, through every season of life. Just begin to make that your prayer. God, I, I want to thirst more for you. Last night, I had an interesting experience. So we're at church. We've, we've closed down. People are standing around. It's, church has been over for over an hour, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and people have left. And we're just standing there chatting, hanging out with some people. And the police roll up. That's a good feeling. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> police officer gets out and he says, uh, we got a call that your alarm is going off. I'm like, I'm, we're standing on the patio. We don't hear anything. I said, well... Let's go check it out. What was interesting to me, we walked through the building, we did the whole thing and, and, and made sure everything was okay. I, I knew Scott locked it up. I'm standing there. No one has broken in while I'm standing there. But, but we, had to, we went through that. And, and this young man, he said, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. And see, I knew our alarm went off for this. He said, Pastor, um, I was talking with this guy this week. And he asked me this question, what does God look like? What does it mean to be an image bearer? <laughs> and we took, we, took, we took a little bit of time, and we just began to unpack that. And, and we talked about, what does it mean to be an image bearer? See, that's the real question. If you and I are, are God's people, what can we do to reflect God? What can we do to be God's people? Um, I actually talked to him for 15 minutes, Okay. But we won't do that to you right now, all right? We're t- let's talk about what can we do, all right? Why don't you read this scripture from Leviticus? In Leviticus 2, uh, 27 to 8, Moses' instruction on human sacrifice, uh, abortion, and immorality in God's people. You shall consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am the Lord your God, so you shall keep my statutes and practice them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So commit yourself to God first, and then the Lord will do the work of sanctifying you. That's the good news, isn't it? Now, what's interesting about that passage, if you'll open up Leviticus chapter 20, um, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel. So it's before they've taken the land, they're being instructed in advance. In the same way you you tell your kids, now when you grow up and you leave home, all right? Don't don't get too much credit card debt, you know? You say save a little money, have a savings, and you teach them these and you why are you telling them this? You're saying well, listen, when you've overspent, this is the way you pay it back down. Why? Because you know we all have to learn some lessons ourselves. So God is not shocked that you and I believe in him, we love him, and we trust him, and then somehow we falter a little bit. And he says, when this happens, he says, consecrate yourself. He says, commit yourself to me, and I will sanctify you. This is Pastor Doyle Jackson for The Church Next Door. Reading the Bible is important. It's something that every Christian should do. It will transform your life. It'll help you grow spiritually. It is good for you. Join me for a year in the Bible. It's less than five minutes every day. We'll give you insights and we'll encourage you. 
So read the Bible with me and join me daily. That's a year in the Bible available now wherever you get your podcasts. Miss part of the show today and want to hear more? Well, you are invited to download and subscribe to Your Next Step on all major podcasting platforms. Now is a great time for us just to stop and pray. You know, we've been thinking about God and His Word. You ever think about praying for church attendance? Let's pray that the church would grow. Let's pray for church attendance today. Lord, we we thank you that when you spoke to Peter and the disciples, you said that you would build your church on the principle that you are the Messiah and that the gates of hell would not prevail. And we thank you, Lord, for your church. We thank you that your church is meant to be a growing, vibrant group of people that are set apart and holy, pleasing to you, different from the world. And God, your church, we have to be honest, it's, it's had a lot of pushback recently. It's had a lot of obstacles set up, and, and some of us have begun to believe that it might be optional. But your word says, your word says clearly that we're not to forsake gathering together, that we are not to somehow think it's unimportant to meet together. So we're praying today for your church, yes, to push back the gates of hell. We're praying for your church to preach the gospel. We're praying that when we when we go to church, we will worship you. We will worship you in spirit and truth, and we will read your word. But we're praying that the church would begin to grow in attendance. Lord, that we would see new believers baptized because... That's what happens when you give your life to Jesus. We, we go through the waters of baptism. Lord, we pray that your church would be filled with the Holy Spirit and power to be witnesses because that's what we see in your word. Lord, we're praying that the church would become effective at, at caring for widows and orphans and those in need because that's what you said was righteous. That was right. That was just. Lord, we pray that your church would gather in their homes. We pray that they would invite their friends over, but that we we would also meet publicly. We pray that we would meet in these these big spaces so that the whole community would know that your church is alive and vibrant and real and that we have the truth of Jesus Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name, bless your church. She's your bride and you love her. May we make ourselves ready for you today in Jesus' name. Thank you for praying with me. You know, as a pastor, as as your pastor, I want you to know one of the most powerful things you can do and I can do is pray together. And I'd like for you to begin to join me in prayer every day. And so we've created a free prayer guide, but you have to go to our website, yournextstepnow.com, give us your email address, and you can download the ebook. It's for you, but it's also to begin to grow in prayer. It's the best thing that'll ever happen to you. Go to yournextstepnow.com and give us your email address and get your prayer guide today. Your Next Step is a ministry of The Church Next Door in Columbus, Ohio. Your prayers for us are always valued. But to financially support the ministry, visit thechurchnextdoor.org and click on Give. That's thechurchnextdoor.org and click on Give. Of course, we'll be glad to send you a gift of thanks in return. For more resources to guide and grow your faith, you can visit doylejackson.com. That's D-O-Y-L-E jackson.com. If you need prayer or have questions, text us at 888-644-4034. That's 888-644-4034. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time for Your Next Step.